The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. he could have shot someone in the head blown their brains out and I could have seen it but it was also possible that he wasn't going to do that right now we're such negative creatures we can automatically without any effort whatsoever go to the negative so identify what you fear look at both sides right and then you can make a more informed decision because we always go to the negative consider well it's possible that he's not going to shoot anyone. It'd be interesting to find out what everyone was afraid of in that particular situation. Say the thing you fear most and allow it to be okay. And by making it okay, it no longer controls your psyche. Yes. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest and fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. Hello, everyone out there. It is me alone today without Bambos Charles Dimitriou because he is doing a photo shoot for a wedding. He's got some work, so I'm alone. So today we are on with a guest who we've had on before with Dr. Cindy Milligan. And we're going to talk to Dr. Cindy about how to turn crazy life events into keynote speeches. And we're going to do that on A Wonderful Chaos. It's so funny to do A Wonderful Chaos alone because... Not sitting next to Bambos makes it that um, there's more effort because when I'm next to Bambos, I can just talk and it feels so effortless. And if I lose track of my thoughts and if I forget where I am, I can always look over and then there's a partner who will sort of take take whatever I've, um, you know, not been able to complete in the sentence and finish it for me and so on. So... Um, I see that doing this uh, feels more um, uh, like more effort. So I want to at least name that before we begin, because I'd like for it to be stay connected. And if I don't name it, then often it'll be in the background. And uh, I'd rather just say, hey, um, I'm not going to try. So we're with Dr. Cindy, who we've had on before. She's a vocal coach for 30 years, 30 plus years. And if you haven't seen that show, that was uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was a really nice show. And it was so nice that we said, let's get you back on again. And we said, what's the topic? And she said, well, I do a lot of training on giving people uh, opportunities to turn these fun, strange, interesting life events into keynote speeches. And I thought, what a cool topic. I've given a lot of thought to this topic. I've actually written several of them that went nowhere. So I'd love to talk to Cindy about some of those as well. And uh, we will also discuss uh, her program, which is called the Elite Voice Master Blueprint. Um, as she kept giving me adjectives or words before the word blueprint, she had to repeat it a few times so I could write it down finally the Elite Voice Master Blueprint. For those interested, it's an eight-week course, and she will certainly be discussing that as well. Uh, the fun of this show as well is, of course, discussing her life events, and she explained to me that she had uh, been on an airplane on fire, which landed, uh, had an emergency landing, and she'd been in the bank in the middle of a robbery. And she says those are two experiences that she utilized to create keynote speeches. So... We're going to discuss those and probably more. And now we're going to bring Dr. Cindy Milligan on. Hello, Dr. Cindy. Hi, Andy. 
Hey. So you know, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. When I see your last name, I, I expect to see this Irish redhead with a lot of freckles. <laughs> how, did, me. how did you get the last name Milligan? Oh, it came from my dad. Yeah? Yeah. Is he an Irishman? He was, yes. I love it. Yes, Irish. he was. What was his name? Manuel Milligan. Manuel? No. Are you really? I'm serious. I love it. Yeah. Manuel. Manuel Milligan. It sounds like it sounds like he got right off of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> My dear old dad, who just yeah. would have been, oh gosh, ninety something just this week. Really? Yeah, uh, yeah. He was a farmer, one of the few black farmers in the state of Indiana. Wow. Yeah, one of five black farmers in the state. Amazing. Yep. When you say, you know, when I, it's funny because you mentioned your dad's birth, mm-hmm. you know, and it's interesting because, you know, I've lost both of my parents mm-hmm. and for the life of you, I cannot tell you when they were born, but I can tell you the days they died. Interesting. So, because those days were the days that impacted me so much emotionally and changed my life forever. So right. quite, uh, you know, an emotion, I can feel the the sadness come up when I think about it. But those are the days where I, it's not commemorating the joy of their life as much as the pain of their loss. Wow. That's interesting. I've lost both my parents too. And it was interesting because it was, his birthday was the 12th and I called my brother and I said, Hey Earl, do you realize that today was daddy's birthday? And he's like, no, I didn't. Yeah. So I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. But I do also really, re- I get so sad uh, on the anniversary of their death. Yeah, and it's exactly. weird because it happens like a few days before I'll just start feeling sad. And then I'm like, why am I feeling like this? Yeah. Did you, I, and, and, and do you, do you, cause I, it happens to me, but I forget that that was the day that they died. So I don't know. Is that the same for you? Like you don't know yeah. why you're sad. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I don't. And then after maybe a few days after I'll realize, Oh, it was the anniversary of the de- of their deaths. Yeah. But I don't put that on my calendar, but I do have their birthdays on my calendar. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I leave it. And my brother said, oh, I'm putting that on my calendar right now. Oh. But yeah, it's weird because I forgot. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, why am I feeling so sad? Yeah, you know? that, ha- that happened for me, I think, like the first 25 years after my mom's death mm. to the point where it was so regular that I'd be depressed right at that time yeah. that it, it was like, uh, it was like allergies, you know, you like, I, right. I'm sort of like, I'll get allergies around the same time every year, but mm-hmm. for the first week, I'll think I'm sick. Like, I'll be like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sniffly. I'm feeling, I'm like, Oh, of course it's that time allergies. of the year. Yeah. So it's yeah. sort of similar when it comes to the death of, especially my mom, when my dad was a bit later. So I think I, I, I wasn't as emotionally dependent on him, but when I lost my mom, I just saw that, yeah, that that the pain of that loss was so great that the date is something that stays with me. Yeah. 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 But um, I have to tell you. Yeah. Your voice is sounding amazing. Is it? Yeah. Especially oh, nice. in that intro. Sounded amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what was funny? I talked to friends because the intro is um, sometimes when I'll do the intro, it's like I'll pump myself up. Mm-hmm. And get myself in more of an active state of mind so that I could be stronger in my words. Because if I'm just sitting back with you, I might be lazy. Oh, you did not sound lazy at all. No, no, that's what I mean. So in the show, a lot of the people who watch will laugh. Or my friends will say, Andy, there's like two sides characters you play. The first is the intro part where okay. you're very where you're very active and directed and clear and stating things. Then the second part is just the being together. Uh-huh. And and that's obviously far more what I why I will do the show, yeah. Right. Well, w- the one thing I did notice, and you were mentioning that we don't have Bombas with us today. I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh, but glad he's got some work going on. Yeah. The energy is different with Bombas around. Yeah. <laughs> and what would you say? How would you describe that? Uh, the energy with Bombas is just like whatever. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. Right. The energy with you today was, we're going to do this show. (laughs) Bombas isn't here. We will carry on. 
<laughs> Can we do the funeral service already? Uh, <laughs> no, it didn't sound set. It just sounded more serious. Oh, is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But that's only like comparatively speaking, because yeah. it's not a sad down feeling at all. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, I, um, I, of course, I always want to be to a large degree authentic about yes. where I am. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I told Bambos once, if we weren't together, I wouldn't do the show. Like I, I, it's being here without him isn't giving me what I want, which is the connection with him while interacting with another. Yeah. So, and it's really a cool connection. Yeah. Cause you guys really bounce off each other very well. And I, and I think it's also a little bit confusing for people because I work as his mentor and sometimes we do the mentoring work online. Hmm. And, and, and if people appreciate Bambos, they feel protective of him at times because yes. they'll say Andy's being hard on him. Where in actuality, it's part of how we've agreed to how we you know, connect and, and, and support one another, actually. Right. Yeah. But I totally get the co-host thing. I used to host a talk show uh -huh. and I had several co-hosts. And they all brought something totally different. And the energy was different with all of them. But I did like having someone there. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. Bowl along, as you heard from last time you were with us, he said, Cindy, what you are feeling, I'm feeling too. So he ah. can relate with that, of course. Hello, Bowl along. Yeah. I love okay. the name. Yeah. Bowl along is our dear friend who we've actually, he's, he's strangely in South Africa, we've never met. But for me, if Bolalong wasn't there, then I don't even believe the show would have continued this far. Wow. Like, okay, so he's your second co-host. He is, yeah. And and emotionally, it's a bit like knowing that he's there is like an anchor for me mm -hmm. to say there's somebody out there who kind of is holding space yes. in, in space for whatever we're creating. And there's a lot of compassion that he has. I mean... You know, if you do this 237 times, wow. you're going to say shit that just is <laughs> is just off. You know, you it, it, anyone who talks that many hours is going to make mistakes <laughs> and they're online forever. You're so right, because I heard I heard the, the podcast with Kevin the other day. And you guys were talking about the wonder. Right. And I think Bolong, you guys mentioned him several times. Mm -hmm. and, and you're right. If you are going to talk for that long, you're going to say something. A little. For sure. Wackadoodle, right? Yeah, you know what was the worst show for me? The worst the, show? The worst show was when I promised myself, if we are going to do a show, then we're going to carry through the topic regardless if the guest shows up. So okay. we're just we're just going to try to see what we can do with this, even if the guest. So we had Jane Elliott on. You know uh -oh. Jane Elliott, right? The, no, I don't. So Jane Elliott is famous for in the 60s, she did the brown-eyed, blue-eyed experience. Oh, Right, 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 right. Yes, yes, yes. So we get you in. as a guest. Yes, we have her as a guest. Okay. Like, uh -huh. you know, think about, you know us well enough. You're like, Andy, that woman on your show is a guest. That's crazy. I mean, I think people, <laughs> people just wanted to look and see what's going to happen interviewing her. Right. And that was, yes, so we got, like we got a, we got a good viewership and, and we promoted the hell out of it. And then she has bad weather in, in, Iowa, where she is, and then okay. the, then the connection goes. So I spend an hour talking about racism in America, a topic of which I don't feel in any way proficient to talk about, but I'm struggling. And then Bambos has no experience. He's you know he's only been to America once with me on a tour once, so he doesn't understand the undercurrent of what's happened there. So mm -hmm. he's always saying, Andy. You know, I don't think it's as bad as anywhere else in the world. Like, so he said, and so now I feel even doubly, like I've got to double down and like say, right. Bambos, it's really bad, you know? It's really so, bad. So, um, so it was, it was, and I love it as well. Cause in mm -hmm. a way, stretching yourself um, right. and, and, and sort of like, how uncomfortable can I be and allow myself to be? Cause there's no self image to protect. Mm hmm. And that's a hard place to be in life because we all have this mask that we'd like people to see. Yes. So how far are we ready to just say, I'm going to give this a go, even though I'm insecure uh, discussing it. And yeah. it's not comfortable. Yeah. And see, so, you know what? It's really interesting that you say that because that's one of the things I really like about you, Obamas, is you're willing to go out there and say those kinds of things and put yourself out, which is, to me, really relatable because... And refreshing because a lot of people just will never go there. Yeah, I think that you've got, you, you know, 
in one level, I think one has to make peace with the repercussions because mm-hmm. one doesn't do it because you imagine all the things that could go wrong. Yes. And you think, okay, if I say the wrong thing and then someone gets offended, all of a sudden I become the object of of their animosity. Yes, you'll get all that blowback. You'll get all the blowback. And, 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 and in a way, I think you have to allow yourself to be compassionate to your own mistakes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you couldn't you couldn't do this without being very uncomfortable. That's well said. Passionate to your own mistakes. Yeah. Compassionate. Compassionate, yeah. Yeah. So now I want to take this subject, which I don't think, to be honest with you, is that separate from the subject of the show. Okay. Which is turning situations into keynote speeches. Oh, boy. Andy, I have been in some situations. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, maybe you don't want to talk about all the situations because people are going to be like, wow, this Cindy woman, she's got some things. I don't want to be in her vicinity because it's only going to be her. (laughs) Seriously, crazy stuff that happens. Yeah. So tell me, tell me, first of all, what in your in your mind, what's the craziest thing that has happened to you? And then how did you translate that into a keynote if you did do that? I did. Uh, The absolute craziest thing that has ever happened to me is I was in a banquet, it got robbed. Live now, in living color. So take me back. Like, you're, where are you? What? Ha- like, give me a play-by-play role. Like, wh- how does this play blow, out? Blow, blow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here's what happened. So it was two days before Christmas, the Friday before Christmas, somewhere around 11, between 11 a.m. and 11.30. I was living in California. And I was going, this is the one time that I had everything prepared for Christmas. The house was clean, you know, decorated, gifts wrapped, everything was all ready. So I was going to go shopping and meet my husband at the time uh, for lunch. Okay. But before I made it to meet him for lunch, I stopped by the bank. Right. And it was a weird time, Andy. It was just really weird. But it was like I tell this story that um, the sun was shining. The brooks were babbling. The breeze was blowing. The flowers were blooming. All was right with the world. It really was sunny California. Right. I go into the back of the bank uh, because the parking lot was in the back. I entered through the back of the bank. And when I got in, there was this huge, long line. Right. This was in the days when people actually went to the bank. The bank, yeah. And so I go into the I go into the bank and I see all these people like, oh, my God. Right. But I really couldn't complain because I didn't have a care in the world. Right. And so, you know, it was also you could if you had one transaction, you could go to another shorter line. Right. So I had one transaction. I was going to make a deposit. I go to the front of the line and I'm just standing there chatting with the guy in front of me. Right. We're just yakking it up. But we were complaining unnecessarily. Right. He's like, oh, my God, can you believe how long this line is? I'm like, I know. Where are all, all these people? It's Friday before Christmas. The bank's going to close early. Let's just go and have fun. Right. And so we're just yakking it up. All of a sudden, this guy comes in the back of the bank. He's wearing a stocking mask. He's carrying an Uzi. And he comes into the bank and he starts yelling, everybody get down on the bleep, bloop, bloop, and bleep, bloop, and bloop, and floor, or I'm going to blow your brains out. Right. He did the typical yeah. like movie, the movie. movie uh, exactly. Movie time. But Andy, nobody in the bank, not one person paid him any attention. We were like, dude, go to the back of the line, please. You're not cutting. Right. We just ignored him. Everyone ignored him. Right. So can you imagine you're a bank robber? You come into the bank. You're going to rob this bank a couple of days before Christmas. You tell everybody to get down on the floor. You're going to blow their brains out. Nobody moves. Right. So he says, I said, get down on the bleep and bleep and block the floor before I blow your bleep and block and brains out. We're just like, dude, back of the bank, back of the line. You're not getting in here twice. We totally ignored him. Totally ignored him. Now, I remember looking at this guy and seeing, I noticed that he had the stocking mask on and I noticed that he had a gun, but I still ignored him. I guess in my mind, I was just like, this can't be happening. Seriously, this cannot be happening. Right. And so for the third time, he says, I said, get down on the bleeping, blopping floor. I'm going to blow your brains out. So we're just kind of like, hmm. 
oh my God. And then everybody hit the floor. It was the weirdest thing that everybody moved at the same time. So everybody got down on the floor. And so he came all the way through the bank up to the front because the, the short line where you have the one transaction line yeah. was in the front and he was coming in through the back. So he comes all the way up to the front, right? And now he's he's in the face of the teller, right? But crazy, here we are at lunchtime, right? The bank is going to close early. It's Friday. All these people are in the bank, but there are only two tellers. One teller was in the in the short line, and the other teller was dealing with everybody else. That's why there was this bottleneck, right? Yeah. So he comes up to the teller in the in the short line. He's give me all your money, give me all the money, give me all your, you know, yelling and screaming at her. And she's just like fumbling around, fumbling around. And then he has a handgun in his pocket. So he whips out the handgun, sticks the handgun in her face. And he's like, I said, give me all my money, right? And so she throws her hands up like this, right? And she starts screaming. <sighs> like one of those, you know, from the bottom of your yeah, yeah, yeah. type screens, right? And so I'm laying there on the floor. So he turns and he's going to go to the next teller and he drops the handgun. He drops the handgun, Andy. It goes scooting across the floor and it landed right in front of my face. No. I swear to you, this is a true story. The, the gun lands right in my face, right? And I'm like, oh my God, no, right? Now, people always ask me, right? Cindy, why did you grab the gun? Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. You gotta grab a gun, no. No, are you kidding? Look, I grew up with my dad, my brothers, my uncles always hunting. You know, there were guns always around. My dad taught me how to use them and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not touching this hand. And, and the guy's got an Uzi. I mean, He's what are you talking Uzi. about? Oh. No, right? So this is the trauma, right? So he turns around. He looks at me. He looks at the gun, right? And he's just staring it back and forth between me and the gun, me and the gun. He's trying to figure out, I guess, am I going to do something, right? Andy, I was going to do nothing. Yeah. I'm not moving. I'm not reaching. I'm not speaking. I'm just there, right? Yeah. And so finally, it just seemed like an attorney. He stomps over. He snatches the gun up, right? And then he goes to the other teller. And he sticks the gun in her face. Give me all the blah, 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 and money, right? So she's panicking. She's just freaking out, right? She goes into hysterics also. So finally, I don't know how much money he got. I don't even know if he got anything at all. I really have no clue. The guy leaves, right? He's going out the back the way he came in. He goes, now everybody stay down. Rob, blow your brains out, right? He's just mm. cursing and swearing, right? All the way out the back door crazy situation. Everybody's still on the floor. So the guy that I'm chatting with in line, right? The guy in front of me, he decides he's going to get up and look all around. Oh, I think he's gone. He goes to the back of the bank, looks out the window into the parking lot. Oh, I think he's gone. Everybody, you can get up, everybody. But nobody wanted to get up at this point. No way. No way. I'm staying down. Look, we have no clue where this guy is or what he's going to do or, you know, what what's what's going on right so finally people slowly start to get up and start like oh brushing themselves off and like oh my god what really just happened you know just the shock of it all and i remember when i stood up i just kind of turned and i looked on the other side of the bank you know there's usually an area where you can like open new accounts there's a teller at a desk right so i look over and i see this family of five people who are under the desk and they're just crying and shaking, right? And yeah, I you, look, you know where they're from Oklahoma, <laughs> visiting California. <laughs> that is not fair, Andy. <laughs> okay, so now here's the thing. So I look back at the teller in uh-huh. that in, in that first window, and she's like this, frozen paralyzed by fear. The guy's gone. Everybody's up moving, kind of milling around. And she is like this. And when I saw the look in her face, my heart just went out to her. I'm like, oh my God, this guy has come in. He has terrified everyone, super terrified her with the gun in her face, right? 
And she has not moved. Yeah. She's literally like this. She's traumatized the rest She's of her life. Traumatized. She yeah. was literally paralyzed by fear. Wow. Paralyzed by fear. My heart went out to her. I go over to her and I touch her hand, right? And when I touched her her hand, her wrist, it just kind of like it shook her, right? And then she just started shaking. It was like she was a human jackhammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was just shaking. At that point, there was another person who came from the back. I don't know where this lady was. She comes from the back and she puts her arms around her, moves her away from the window and kind of pull, you know, tries to comfort her, move to the side. Me, I don't even know what state I was in at this time, but I'm now looking at the people over under the desk, right? And I'm like, yeah. they don't even realize he's gone or if they do, they still don't want to come out. So I'm like, I go over to them. I'm like, come on out. He's gone. He's gone. They're like, no, we're scared. He's going to kill us, right? Yeah. And everybody's just kind of milling around just in a state of, mm. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. So help me understand that you have that happen to you. Yes. So when you have, in my mind, as you've spoken, I hear three or four keynote speeches out of Oh, this. that's awesome. So, I and so they are. Okay. But, so but let me tell you what happened. Okay. So at that point, the some security people came in, locked us all into the bank. Mm-hmm. And then they said, you guys can't leave. Then Really? Right. The authorities came, started interviewing everyone. What did you see? What did he look like? Blah, 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 all this stuff, yeah. right? I'm standing there listening to these interviews and everybody saw something different. Oh, I saw him. He had on a baseball cat and a windbreaker. No, he didn't. He had on a, you know, a hat and he had on a raincoat. No, he didn't. It was a sweatshirt. No, it was a hoodie. Everybody saw something different, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Andy, it wasn't until maybe a couple of years later that I was able to turn that into a speech because after it happened, I told people, you know, family and friends, most people didn't even believe me. They're yeah. like, Cindy, we didn't even hear that on the news. I'm like, are you kidding me? You think I'm going to make up a story like this? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I want to know what you, what, what you heard out of that. Well, when you speak, so uh, I often think in narrative. So, um, and I, you know, I write books. So I, I guess as I'm seeing situations, I think in narrative, meaning writing the story of what feels like it touches me or moves me. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I heard, and it was interesting because Bolalong also chimed in on this, is that maybe he lacked authority and he wasn't convincing or he had not mentally prepared for what he got into. So the first story that I heard is that if you want to be a bank robber, make sure you do it with conviction because if you don't, then people, you create more problems and more danger, quite honestly. Yes. Because the fact that he had to repeat three times to get on the floor was strangely, you'd, you'd say, wow, actually he was not convincing enough. So in, in the first talk I had in my head was um, how if you're not convincing, you're not good at your job, even if you're a bank robber. Like that was the first kind of narrative. That's a great one. I like that. <laughs> but I mean, I sorry. think he just wasn't prepared for what he got into. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine. Well, he dropped yeah. that gun. That That's a clear indication of it. Yeah. Um, the second one that you said was when you touched her mm-hmm. and what I've seen is that the power of touch and how someone can be completely paralyzed because they're out of body. So the story and the narrative in my head around that one was that through touch, you help people in the most traumatized situations come back into their body. That's awesome. So that was- I love that. And then um, the third one, there was more, but I don't want to continue. But the, the third one was- in the recollection that everyone's experience is different shows you how flawed our recollection is, especially in moments when there's something traumatic and we're trying to create uh, what we've seen. But the fact is there's so much, so much anxiety and fear that we can't necessarily always trust what we see. Right. So, so those were, those were the keynotes that I heard kind of come up through that story. But I, I doubt those are any of the keynotes that you made of this story. Yeah. <laughs> No, but it's yeah. a great, they're all great ideas. I want to hear the other ones, but let me tell you what actually happened after Please. that and how I turned it into one. And okay. it has been probably the most delivered speech I've ever done. It's, oh. it's an hour long speech. It's a 30 minute speech. It's a 20 minute speech. I can never tell it in less than 10 minutes, but I've used it in many, in many different uh, scenarios. But the speech that 
that really I have used as the most keynote, uh, the one that I've done the most is fear, mm. how to deal with fear, right? Because this was a situation where he came in and I don't know, it's really strange. I have never been back to that bank. Oh, right? wow. I didn't know anyone in the bank. It was not the normal bank that I went to. Okay. It was just kind of like the strangest thing that's at. That's where was it, by the way? Because I I lived in L.A., so I'm wondering where it's it was. It's in Oakland, California. In Oakland, okay. It's in Oakland, California. And so the, 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 the speech that came out of it was how to deal with fear. Mm. And because I didn't know what everyone's fear was, I'm in my mind, everyone's fear was different because my fear was the strange one to me, right? Yeah. So here's what I was afraid of. I wasn't afraid that he was going to shoot me. I wasn't afraid that he was going to hurt me. I wasn't afraid that he was going to take my money. I was afraid that he was going to shoot someone in the head, blow their brains out, and I would see it. Uh, That is a very specific fear, right? Because he kept saying that, you know, get down or I'll blow your brains out. I'll blow your brains out. Andy. If I ever saw anything like that, you're just going to have to take me out. I'm not going to be able to deal with it. Right. And so because he kept saying that, that was like, oh, my God, please do not let him do this. Right. He went out. He didn't fire the gun. I don't even know if he had any bullets. I don't even know if it's a real gun or not. But my fear was so specific. Now, I wonder what the teller was afraid of. Right. Because the gun, he was pointing the gun in her face. Yeah. I don't know what the family under the desk was afraid of. I never talked to them. I only mm. know that my fear was very specific, right? That he was going to shoot someone in the head, blow their brains out. I would see it. Yeah. And so the way I came out of that was, okay, so how do you deal with fear? First of all, you have to recognize what it is that you fear, right? Mm-hmm. Because like I said, I wasn't afraid that he was going to shoot me or hurt me. Right. So that's out of the way. All right. Identify what you what you fear. Then look at both sides of the coin. Right. First of all, he could have shot someone in the head, blown their brains out and I could have seen it. But it was also possible that he wasn't going to do that. Right. Now, we're such negative creatures. Right. (laughs) We could automatically without any effort whatsoever go to the negative. Right. Yeah. That I would actually see this thing horrible. Yeah. That's yeah. That's just normal. Right. But it's a 50 50 chance that he wasn't going to do that. And the fact is, he didn't do it. But the thing that I was afraid of is that I was going to see it. Right. So identify what you fear. Look at both sides. Right. And then you can make a more informed decision. Point three. Right. Because because we always go to the negative. Consider, well, it's possible that he's not going to shoot anyone, that he's not going to do anything to anyone, and that he's just going to leave and no one will be harmed, which is what happened. Yeah. But it'd be interesting to find out what everyone was afraid of in that particular situation. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, I'll often talk about this and I'll call this um, projection and reclamation work um, based on the, the work of someone named Peter Koenig. And what he'll always say is, say the thing you fear most and allow it to be okay. And by making it okay, it no longer controls your psyche. Yes. You're so no longer afraid even, of it. There's a group that we have on Facebook called hashtag and it's fucking great. Oh so yeah, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. People will post, I'm I I hate how I look and it's fucking great, or mm-hmm. I just lost my job. I'm scared shitless and it's fucking great. So sorry for the language, but that's how that's how we communicate in this group. I understand. Um, the um, polarities. When you talk and, and you, you you said we embrace the we make peace with both sides. You said it could happen and it's okay, and it it, it also it may not happen or it will likely not happen. That's also okay. So I, I will often like in my own lingo we'll call that polarity, mm-hmm. and then I'll say where am I after I leave one of those? I'm back in this moment again. So I'm not okay. drawn to a fear of the. Uh, uh, in the future or regret or an uh, anxiety or anything or anything that's happened in the past. Yeah. I like that term polarity because yeah. it's really opposites. Right. Yeah. But you know, you can, like I said, Andy, that day was a beautiful day. I was yeah. so ready for Christmas. I love Christmas. I had just had my birthday. 
My birthday was on the 20th of December. Christmas is coming. I had all of the house, everything, gifts were prepared. I was just going to go have a nice leisurely fun lunch, watch people run around the mall, you know, shop at the last minute, Hmm. feel frank, feel crazy and go, ha, ha, ha. You know, everything's bright with the world, you know, sunny California day. But here comes the bank robber. By the way, Bola Long also wants to say out to you, Cindy, I can pick up the emotions from your voice. Oh, yeah. Which is great because I'm assuming that as a voice teacher, that's part of the thing that you actually uh, teach others to express their emotions. Through their well, voice. you know, the interesting thing with that, I'm glad to hear you say that, Bola Long, because I'm just telling you what happened. Right. And as I am telling you, I'm actually reliving it. Right. Yeah. I can see the bank. I can see the situation. I can see the teller. I knew which way I turned. I knew what I was talking to the guy about. I remember looking out the window and seeing a blue sky, you know, so I put myself back in that position. And the thing that that's really kind of critical about all this is what you have settled in your mind, right? Your body follows. So I have this picture. It's, it really is like a movie um, that I can see playing over. And I do this. It just happens whenever I give this speech is I tell the story of what happened and the whole concept of storytelling just pulls people in. Right. Yeah. Cause everybody just wants to know, well, what happened? Well, what happened? What happened next? Oh my God, what'd you do? And it's yeah. really, I'm just repeating what I saw or what I lived through at that particular time. So it does come through my voice, but I'm not consciously trying to make it come through. Yeah. I, I did the, the tour through the U S where mm-hmm. I would sit with 60 of these little groups of people and share the story of the loss of my mom. And, uh, and it was 30 years between the point that she died and I did this tour. And, uh, and what I noticed is in those 30 years, I really shut down emotionally. So when I told the story, I separated from the story itself. It became a construct, a concept in my head. So I could tell the story and be not connected to the words at all. Mm-hmm. So I didn't embody the words. You know, my mom died. She was killed by a drunk driver. So I could I could feel like the pain. But in my head, it was almost like I, I cut off right here so that when I spoke the words, it would be less connected. And and when I did the tour, right, this this 30 years later, like I promised myself that I wasn't going to step away from the feelings that were coming up. Mm-hmm. And it, and the first and I and, and I did sixty sessions and I'd never done a session before I began so I dedicated and signed up for sixty of these sessions not knowing even before the first one what I was really going to do until it happened and and I remember saying um, my mom was killed by a drunk driver it was like the first thing I said uh, or one of the first things I said when I began and then I felt that I had said it so many times without ever feeling what I had said that I said, I have to say that again. And then I said, my mom was killed by a drunk driver. And then I just started to cry. Mm. And it was like, in all those years, I hadn't allowed myself to feel the words as they were coming from my mouth. Right. And, right. Uh, and, and, and I just cried pretty much each of those 60 sessions. So it was, uh, it was exhausting at the end. I'm I didn't, sure. I didn't realize that, as you say, you're not, telling a story, you're reliving an experience that you're allowing other people to share with you. So it's very vulnerable, actually. Yeah, Yeah. it is. Now, here's something interesting about what you just said. There is a bone in your uh, vocal tract Uh called the hyoid bone. It is the only bone in your body that's not connected to another bone. And so it's interesting that you said you cut off things here. And when you cut off things here, you cut off your feeling, right? Because that hyoid bone that's there, no matter what you do, no matter how you move your body, it is going to affect your voice because it's right there in the middle of it. Mm. Very interesting. And it's interesting you say that because I've noticed that when I have emotional pain, which mm-hmm. is not flowing, it always gets stuck in my throat. Yes. yes. So uh, even to the point where I'll get a sore throat. I mean, that's how far it's not like, like I'll feel the sickness of the throat constricting as if it's sick. Absolutely. Yeah. My mom always used to say to me, she goes, I can't cry. I can't cry. And I think it's because she had 
suffered so much loss from, you know, brothers, sisters, parents, very close family members. And she just choked back the tears yeah. to the point where she could not physically cry. Yeah. And she felt it. She goes, I always feel it right here. She goes, I, I feel like I'm being choked. Yeah. It's really important. That vocal tract, right? It's really where all the breath comes from. You take air mm-hmm. in, goes up. And when you're talking, it comes out there. That is really a key spot in the body. Your yeah. voice is so important. Yeah. I, I see I'll yell sometimes, mm-hmm. like almost loosen my body up just as a kind of a free, like, a, a, like if I feel constricted, I'll just, ah, you know, just whatever, <laughs> just to feel the, let, let the flow come back in. It really does. There's a thing that I do just out of frustration. Oh, right. Yeah. And it always makes me feel better. And a friend of mine would always say to me, why do you always do that? I'm like, because it feels awesome. Try it. And he's like, yeah, it really does. But it's, yeah. it is a release that happens because for some reason, we just want to stop yeah. right there. Like, it's almost like, let me stop it from going to my head or yeah. let me stop it from going to my heart. I'd say stop it from going to my heart, really, mm-hmm. because I think what, what happens is the thought creates the emotional pain and then I constrict in it to hold it away from the actual heart where it would, if it broke open the heart, all I would do is be in tears at that. Yeah. yeah. You, you just, you would just lose it. Absolutely. When we um, go back to the, the keynote, when you're helping other people to write the keynotes, I think, I think there's, I, I've noticed for myself, cause I'll help people write cause that, or, or create that. And, and part of it is, is the narrative, even if, they're selling a company. So I'll, right. I'll do that a lot. And what I've noticed is that it's often hard for people who aren't, I'm using a word embodied, who feel their emotions to feel when the story is, and the quotes, right. Hmm. And, I, and, I, and I say by right, I say by the feeling of being authentic to them. So, okay. So what I've, at least this is mine, and I'd be interested in your experience, is I've noticed that when people are getting new to speaking or trying to speak that they'll often try to rationalize what they think the best story is Mm. without looking at what's their story what's actually interesting to talk about why would anyone even want to hear instead of it being an inward out process i've seen people often make it what do they want and how do i write a story for them that isn't necessarily coming from a deep place of of meaning for the individual themselves so i was wondering how that is for you and you know where you see that showing up in your work. Well, I think that if you're tell if you're really just telling your story, that's the authentic true story that sucks people in. Yeah. It it makes you like a magnet, right? Because we're people are interested in other people. Yeah. We are we are nosy by nature. We are so nosy, Andy. You know, know. it's like you've got to you've just got to find out, you know, what's going on, right? And so when I, when I teach this part of, and when I'm teaching a public speaking class, I always have this whole segment about storytelling and narratives. And I always say there is a lesson in every story, right? Because at the time when I was going through the whole bank robbery thing, I was, of course, I wasn't thinking about that, but it didn't come to me until like two or three years later when Mm -hmm. I was actually out and I was doing a speech and, and somebody said something about fear. And I said, let me tell you about fear. And I yeah. just broke into the story, right? It was not originally a part of what I had planned to say, yeah. but I think that's what made it so authentic and what, why it has been such a success because it was, like I said, I was just telling you what happened to me. Yeah. And, 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 and that to dovetail with what we, I just said, I found additional to this. The second thing is that, people often don't think that their stories are interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody's going to care about that. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't see that the authenticity would be, it adds a dimension of interest. Like if someone said, you know, I've been a lawyer for 30 years and who's interested in my life. Right. Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. Have you seen? That's what I want to know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting thing it, when one is going to do a speech is that 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 those two aspects, which are like, hey, 
um, can I see something that's authentic within me of interest? And then second, like, uh, can I allow that to be, you know, vulnerably shared with a, with a group? And Right. And, and the vulnerability part of it is so huge because that's, I think that's also tied to, well, nobody's going to be interested in my story. Yeah. We're nosy about everything, yeah. right? You could go to the mailbox and something crazy happened to you and it's a great story, right? My mom walked out on the porch one day. She had on a red skirt. No big deal. She wears this red skirt all the time. But it just so happened that there was a bull, a huge, enormous, real-life bull walking down the driveway at the same time who happened to look up and see her in this red skirt. It occurred to her, ah, they got a red skirt on. She scurries back into the house. So why was this bull walking down the driveway? Because there was a flood in the area. And all of the animals in the lower land moved away, were moving up, right, away yeah. from the flood. And literally a bull was walking down her driveway. So mm-hmm. how crazy is that? What's the moral of that story? I don't really know yet. I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But that's the that's the part of where you're under the shower and it hits you. Right. Like, that's the serendipity nature that if you surrender to it. Creative ideas are like unending if you allow the, the, the ideas to inform you, right? That's, that's yeah. what I've, I, I found the more I try, the harder it gets. I have to almost, un, I have to surrender to the story and then let the narrative tell me what it's meant to be. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. yeah, with this, the, you know, this, I, I'm now in the editing phase of the third book. Mm-hmm. And I said like Christmas, I said, I'm going to write the book over Christmas. And of course, Christmas comes and I don't write. And I then I, then kind of that half guilt, half time, you know, well, am I going to do this? And so I was not writing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't do it. And then I say, you know what? I'm fat as hell. I just gained 10 kilos, 22 pounds over <laughs> COVID. I got to lose some weight. So every day I just walk and walk and walk. And what happens is as I'm taking care of my body, my mind starts to get clearer and now I'm waking up in the mornings writing chapter after chapter without any structure, without trying. And no effort. No effort. Yeah, yeah. And so it's funny because it's often the, you know, letting go of this outcome orientation and letting yourself be led just by nature, by the inspiration that you obviously, life gets a lot easier. But yeah. I find the same with the keynote speeches is that when – um when uh, when you find the thing that hits you, then you don't you're not making up the speech. The speech was written maybe 30 years ago, but now you channel the, mm-hmm. the delivery of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. It, it happens. You're right. And I think part of it is, you know, in, in, in addition to what you're saying, we're just fighting against it. Right. We fight mm-hmm. against our own selves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it gets us nowhere, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, Bolalong says he says the moral of the story is that the bull is not always where you think it is. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> you can I take can, that many different I ways. I can take right? that a lot of ways. Yeah, <laughs> but it's uh, that's true. Yes, the bull, the bull is, is not, not always where you think, where it, you is. think it is. Oh, uh, and he says I think we forgot that other people are not as exposed to the story as we are. Absolutely. What does that Absolutely. mean, actually? I I look at that as saying nobody would ever think that a bull would come walking down their driveway, right? Mm, and yeah. then the fact that my mom had this red skirt on, a skirt that she wore all the time, right? And she just happens to step out on the porch just to get some fresh air, look around, blah, 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 whatever. And here comes the bull. But what was it that made her click and say, oh, Oh my God, I've got its red skirt on because it was the way the bull looked at her, right? Yeah. It's interesting because as I think about it now, if I put my creative hat on, yeah. then, then the lesson in my brain is that we don't decide the conditions around us. And all of a sudden, when the conditions change around us, things that we took for granted are all of a sudden uh, potential liabilities. So that would be the narrative that would be the kind of. That's the, a good- Andy, we need to collaborate on some stories. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah, my brain only my brain only works in narrative. So basically, (laughs) I'm like, I don't even know if I live in reality. I just write stories about and create a reality in my head. (laughs) 
I wanted to do a TED talk for years. Uh-huh. And, and um, you know, however, I think everyone wants to do a TED talk. Now it's no longer, it's no longer in because everyone's done TED talks in the meantime. But at some point it was like, you reach the pinnacle if you're invited to do this TED talk. So mm-hmm. I wrote my TED talk. I literally wrote out the whole speech because it was already in my, my head. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was funny because I would send it to the, um, the, you know, that, that, info at ted.com and mm-hmm. i never got any responses from them <laughs> yeah yeah i think they get so many of them i certainly yeah. didn't take any offense to it but you know that's the kind of thing where you know you have to hit a, a moment in time with a subject which is so relevant and important that hey this is it i think yeah yeah or have good like harmonic convergence right yeah. everything aligns up because yeah. i think that's what happened at that bank yeah you know why was I there at that particular time? Well, I didn't even really normally go to the bank. And it was two days before Christmas, the Friday before Christmas. Who's going to want to really go to the bank unless you have to, right? Hmm. And then I stayed on top of the fact that there was this huge line. I didn't need to do that. Yeah. You have a course, which is an eight-week course. And I'm going to read it again for those because I also need to write it because it has too many words in it for my memory. <laughs> okay, Andy, you made me realize I need to change the name of that. No, 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 no. no. I do. I do because okay. I agree with you 100%. 100%. I was going to do that, but now you've solidified it. So I'm changing If you just called it, it elite, vo- elite Voice Mastery, then I could remember it. But when elite you added- Voice Mastery. But when you added Blueprint to it, then I had it like there was another word I needed to remember in that. Um, and it didn't compute. Okay. No. Tell me why does someone come to do that course and what do they get out of it? So what's that? What does that look like? Okay. So it is an eight week voice training program. So my business is the Milligan Vocal Arts Institute, right? Maybe that's too many words too. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got vocal arts and I identified 30 different what I call vocal genres, right? Some are creative, some are for are professional. And these are just people that have come to me over the years, right? Who use their voice in either a creative or business type of way. So for example, the people who come to me who are creatives are actors, singers, puppeteers, ventriloquists, spoken word artists, storytellers, comedians, Mm -hmm. voiceover. They all use their voices in creative performance. Uh, And then when you look at people who use their voices in business, we're talking attorneys, judges, ministers, sales professionals, call center representatives, Uh, they all use their voices in a business environment, right? But each one of those uses of voice is very specific and very different. So, you know, you were talking about how you were using your voice for your intro versus, you know, us having this conversation now, it's a totally different use of voice. Um, When I anchored the news, I had an anchor voice. When I was in the field reporting, I had a reporter voice. When I do voiceover, I might have to play the character of a crazy dragon. So I've had to use my voice in a lot of different ways. And I know that for people who are looking for coaches uh, to help them with their voices, because most people really don't like the sound of their voice, uh, it's, it's really not there. Because when I tell people that I'm a vocal coach, they immediately think that I'm a singer or that I teach singers, right? Now, I sing in the shower, but I would never consider myself a soloist. And I can, but I can help singers because I understand the anatomy and physiology of the voice. So I can help you with your voice, right? But the whole point of the program was to help people really fine tune their voices and train the voices so that you can understand the full spectrum of the power that you have in your voice. Right. So so when you have, sorry, just because I want to break this up, when you have an eight week course and you've got a lawyer and then you got a student and then you got an actress. So you have this diverse group of people in one course. Mm -hmm. So how is it that you can create a course for all of these different people where they actually all benefit from it because they're they're all getting what they need from it? How does that happen? Okay, so the way I've got it structured is, first of all, you have to understand your voice and how it works, which most people do not, right? And I think it's really kind of unfortunate that in school, none of the schools teach anything about voice, right? Went through elementary school, middle school, high school, into college. When I was in high school, I had a public speaking class, but it taught me nothing about my voice, right? Got to college, wanted to learn more about the voice, 
and even in my PhD program, Andy, I wanted to study the spoken human voice in performance. There were no programs. They allowed me to actually create my pro my own program, right? Wow. Which was really cool. So I was able to take classes in communication, linguistics, anthropology, sociology, psychology, and music. So I have a really interdisciplinary degree, right? Wow. But the point is, the way that I the way that I've structured the class is that I teach people how their voice works now, right? Uh, and if you understand how your voice works, then if you needed to do something different, right? For example, you really need to persuade someone to do something. You need to persuade them to buy something, yeah. or you know, you're trying to get someone to move from point A to point B, right? How do you do that? Well, part of it is your voice, what I call voice skills IQ. And that is understanding what you have in your brain really impacts the rest of your, bo your body, especially your voice. Because if I thought that you were hurting because you were thinking about your mom, then I would try to use my voice to soothe, mm -hmm. to heal, to comfort. But yeah. that happens as a result of what I'm thinking and how I want to connect with you. But if I'm trying to persuade you that you need to go on this march with me, or you need to come on this journey with me, or you need to read my book, or you need to convict such and such for doing such and such, then yeah. that also comes through my voice. So if you understand how your voice works and you can control the four areas that create your voice, mm. then you can more effectively communicate wow. your message. And so the training is about how to make your voice very flexible, agile, and versatile for any situation that you might be in, whether you are a judge, a rapper, a comedian, you're trying to make someone laugh, or you're trying to sell uh, Tide or Downey in a television commercial. As you speak, it's so it's it it's like seems so clear to me as you speak. It's like to say, how do I begin anything if I don't have a baseline for what it is I'm going to measure against? So what you're telling me is that in one understanding what's your baseline, then you know how to modulate it. But if you don't have any baseline, then you don't even know what you're what you're relative against, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so really, honestly, all your voice is is chopped up air. Mm -hmm. All you're doing is playing with air. So you inhale, right? And then you exhale, but you can only speak on the exhale. So mm -hmm. as you're speaking, you're, you're just kind of chopping up the air, basically. Yeah. That's the simplified version, right? Yes. Yeah, but it's really a complicated process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So it's like your voice functions on four areas, four main areas, respiration, Phonation, which happens in the vocal folds, mm -hmm. resonation, which happens when air moves through or hits spaces, and then articulation. And all four of those areas are have muscles that are connected to them. So say, for example, you have a speaking range of you can go this high. You know, I can speak this high or I can speak this low. Right. You have this range. And if you start to work all those muscles that are connected to all four areas that create the sound of your voice. Mm. Now your range was here. You can expand it. Yeah. Right. So we just don't, we're never taught how our voice works. We just mimic what we hear other people do. That's how, you know, children learn how to speak. They're mimicking what they hear their parents say or how yeah. they say it, which is why we have accents and dialects. Right. Yeah. yeah. On one show that we did kind of, we will do experimental shows sometimes. Okay. And one of the experimental show was I played three different types of gurus. So I played the, um, the, the guru who was going to be financial success. Mm -hmm. I played the guru who was about soul purpose, like very connected. And then I played the more the enlightened guru. Okay. And, I had a person in mind for each one of these types, but I didn't have a big, it wasn't like I do this on a regular basis. So it was a kind of an anxious, a, a anxious show for me. I was just like, okay, we'll see. but what I saw was that the biggest change, which I just uh, let come over me was my voice. Mm -hmm. So when I was in the um, financial guru uh, state of mind, mm -hmm. I was very quick, very determined, very strong in my statements. Okay. And, and, and I could hear my voice um, more convincing and, and had that strength to it, similar to how I'm talking now. Yes. And then when I went to the sole purpose voice, mm 
I just went and I started whispering and I felt mm. my stomach and my mm. heart. And I said, ah, can you feel that? Yeah. And can you see? And, and, it, and, and, and that automatically calms me and makes me want to come in. Exactly. And then the third voice was more of a elevated out of space, similar to the second voice, but in this, let me feel where you are and tell me, how does that feel for you? Yes. And then so almost like a convincing that I know something because I'm aware. And, and so through the and, and the humor was I didn't plan that voice shift before we began the show. It happened as a natural byproduct of putting myself in these mental states. Yes. See, your enlightened voice sounds lifted. Yeah. You were taking me to space, literally in your mind. That's your voice skills. IQ is that you could take me there mentally. And it came out through your voice. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's humorous because in a way it is embodying a character. And then the consequence of that is a vocal change. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we're unaware of it. You know, you just do it automatically. Well, I mean, what I thought when I did the show, which I thought was fascinating is I knew that individuals would resonate with one voice more than another voice mm. like that. I was certainly aware of that. There would be one of these three character types that you would be drawn to more likely than another one. Yes. Which, which actually tells you more about yourself than the other person in a way. Mm-hmm. It says mm-hmm. that my predisposition is in this direction. Yes. Yeah. And that's because people connect to people, right? Yeah. We are made to connect to each other. Yeah. Right. And we do that so easily vocally without even realizing it. You know, people were able to even during the pandemic where you were physically isolated from one another. The only thing you just had to talk to somebody. Right. If yeah. you were on Zoom, if you were on a phone. Right. You had to have a conversation with someone. Yeah. And Bola Long, who's oh, I mentioned always there, says that was a show I saw the actor and Andy. It had a bold <laughs> educational entertainment angle to it. Yes. He also says, and we're over time, but I wouldn't mind if you've got an extra five minutes mm-hmm. to share with us the next question. I gave the foreshadowing that there was a story of you oh, in an airplane on fire. And Bola Long would like for you at you least to hear the story. before we go to hear what happened I have never, I once was in an airplane that had such bad turbulence that the uh-huh. the cart in the middle hit the ceiling and then came down. And uh, and and it was the most scared I think I'd ever been, especially in a wow. plane. It was utterly terrifying. I'd never been on an airplane on fire. So please, to end our show, I'd love to hear this story. Okay. Thanks, Bolalong, for asking that question. So this was during the days of me traveling all over the world as a motivational speaker. So I was just very comfortable flying on small aircraft and, you know, huge international flights. So I get on this plane and I'm going from, I was in Indiana, Evansville, Indiana, and I was on my way somewhere to the East Coast, maybe Boston or something like that. I can't remember exactly where, but it was during the winter time, Right. Not a really big plane. I think maybe it had maybe 30, 40 seats on it. Wow. Right. Wow. Not a small, small, but not a really big plane. Yeah. So I'm sitting there. I sat down, you know, <sighs> just relax, ready to go on my little flight. And we take off and everything seems fine. And then all of a sudden I had my eyes closed and I opened my eyes just slightly. And it seemed like my contacts were fogging up. The cabin was starting to fill with smoke. I'm like, oh my God, do you guys, what, you know, and then all of a sudden the the pilot says, we're going to have to make an emergency landing. So the co-pilot comes running past us, right? I don't know where he was going, but we ended up landing really, really hard and fast on, we were in Indianapolis. So we, we hit the, we hit the, uh, the tarmac, we go sliding, right? Cause he's like making this, right? The co pilot's like, get off, everybody, get off, get off the plane. And so we're all like, duh, what in the world is going on? I didn't see flames, but there was smoke everywhere. So we all get off the plane in the middle of the tarmac in, at the Indianapolis airport. There's snow all around us. And then we see the, the flames on the plane. Oh, my God, this plane was on fire, literally on fire. But you know what? It didn't, it didn't scare me to the point where I didn't want to get on my flight. 
I just waited to the next one and went on to where I was going. Yeah. yeah. And I then remember. of course my brother, he's all freaked out about everything. And so he, he had friends in the news. And the next thing I know, I finally get to my destination. I'm in the hotel and he calls me, he goes, hey, Cindy, you got to do this interview with such and such and W such and such and such. I'm like, why? He goes, because you were on the plane the car on fire. <laughs> Everyone knows of you. Uh, <laughs> so I had to do an interview uh, that's about funny. my experience yeah. on this plane that caught on fire. Oh, that's beautiful. I love yeah. it. So when thank I, you, Bolong, for asking. Yeah, thank you, Bolong. I remember when I was on this plane, my mentor and I, he had cancer, mm -hmm. and we knew he was going to die at some point in the future. We didn't know when, but it was we, he had a five-year prognosis. And we went up in the plane together, and I say that because the, the joke later will now make sense, is that um, we're in the plane, and uh, and then the the it decompresses as we're at, at altitude. So what happens when a plane decompresses, you've got so much time to get under like 10,000 feet before the, the, the masks come down. Yeah. So, um, so we are at this altitude and then all of a sudden we go into like a, a steep, a steep, steep decline. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and we're leaning over, we're told, you know, to get into whatever the brace position is. So there's, there's the fear and we're kind of lighthearted and we've sort of surrendered. So I look over to him and I say, you know, this fucking sucks. I got so much more to lose than you do right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts laughing and I oh start laughing. And I mean, you know, I mean, it you guys been... were laughing, cracking up while you're in a seat. Yes, yes, yes. Because in a way, I mean, there is a bit of surrender. I mean, I kind of do find life to be a bit absurd. And if that's the way I go, that's the way I go. You know, might as well be... go down laughing. Yeah. And I think we I mean, that was the kind of love we had for one another is that like even in these moments, like that's when you know, you know, where you're at is when you're in these yeah. moments. How do you navigate them? And, uh, yeah. and I think that was the joke we both carried, uh, you know, you know, because we didn't we didn't think he had very long to live at that time. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Cindy. You're welcome, yeah. Andy. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way.